This morning, our first uh, scripture text is from the book of Deuteronomy. It is um, chapter 29, it's verses 22 through 28, which is on page 155 of your pew Bible. A reminder just that Deuteronomy is when uh, Moses is speaking to uh, the, the, the people of Israel as they're about to enter the promised land. And um, basically it is a, a, a retelling of the law of God, how they're supposed to live in the, the promised land. Um, but it also is a retelling of the law with some of their sinful actions and history in mind. And so uh, Deuteronomy spends some time looking at what will happen when you don't follow the law. So again, it's Deuteronomy chapter 29 verses 22 through 28. Listen here to God's word. Now the generation to come, your sons who rise up after you, and the foreigner who comes from a distant land, when they see the plagues of the land and the diseases which will, with which the Lord has afflicted it, they will say, all its land is brimstone and salt, a burning waste, unsown and unproductive, and no grass grows in it. Like the overthrow of Sodom and Gomorrah, Adma and Zeboim, which the Lord overthrew in his anger and in his wrath. And all the nations will say, why has the Lord done th thus to this land? Why this great outburst of anger? Then men will say, because they forsook the covenant of the Lord, the God of their fathers, which he had made with them when he brought them out of the land of Egypt. They went and served other gods and them, gods whom they did not know and whom they were not, and whom he had not allotted to them. Therefore, the anger of the Lord burned against the, the land to bring upon it every curse which is written in this book. And the Lord uprooted them from the, their land in anger and in fury and in great wrath and cast them into another land as it is this day. Amen. Our New Testament reading this morning comes from the book of Hebrews, chapter 10, verses 26 through 31. Um, we all remember Hebrews 10, 24, let us consider how to stimulate one another toward love and good deeds. Sometimes we, we stop reading there. These are um, important words for us as we consider um, what it means to trust in Christ and how we are to behave given that our salvation is in Christ alone. So this is Hebrews 10, 26 through 31. Listen here to God's word. For if we go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of a fire which will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much severer punishment do you think he will deserve who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has regarded as unclean the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has insulted the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. 
It is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Amen. And then our primary text this morning is Amos chapter 3 and 4, where Amos is picking up um, kind of his discussion um, of the nations, more focused now on Israel and um, what is to come with them. So Amos chapters 3 and 4, it's on page 651 of your pew Bible. Listen here to God's word. Hear this word which the Lord has spoken against you, sons of Israel, against the entire family which he brought up from the land of Egypt. You only have I chosen among all the families of the earth. Therefore, I will punish you for all your iniquities. Do two men walk together unless they have made an appointment? Does a lion roar in the forest when, there, when he has no prey? Does a young lion growl from his den unless he has captured something? Does a bird fall into a trap on the ground when there is no bait in it? Or does a trap spring up from the earth when it captures nothing at all? If a trumpet is blown in the city, will not the people tremble? If a calamity occurs in the city, has not the Lord done it? Surely the Lord God does nothing unless he reveals his secret counsel to his servants, the prophets. A lion has roared, who will not fear? The Lord God has spoken, who can but prophesy? Proclaim on the citadels in Ashdod and on the citadels in the land of Egypt and say, Assemble yourselves on the mountain of Samaria and see the great tumults within her and the oppression in her midst. But they do, not know how, they do not know how to do what is right, declares the Lord. These who hoard up violence and devastation in their citadels. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, An enemy, even one surrounding the land, will pull down your strength from you, and your citadels will be looted. Thus says the Lord, just as the shepherd snatches from the lion's mouth a couple of legs or a piece of an ear, so will the sons of Israel dwelling in Samaria be snatched away, with the corner of a bed and the cover of a couch. Hear and testify against the house of Jacob, declares the Lord God, the God of hosts. For on the day that I punish Israel's transgressions, I will also punish the altars of Bethel. The horns of the altar will be cut off, and they will fall to the ground. I will also smite the winter house together with the summer house. The houses of ivory will also perish, and the great houses will come to an end, declares the Lord. Hear this word, you cows of Bashan, who are on the mountain of Samaria, who oppress the poor and crush the needy, who say to your husbands, bring now that we may drink. The Lord God has sworn by his holiness, behold, the days are coming upon you when you will be taken away with meat hooks and the last of you with fish hooks. You will go out through the breaches in the wall, each one straight before her, and you will be cast to Harmon, declares the Lord. Enter Bethel and transgress. In Gilgal, multiply transgression. Bring your sacrifices every morning, your tithes every three days. Offer a thank offering also from that which is leavened, and proclaim free will offerings. Make them known. For so you love to do, you sons of Israel, declares the Lord God. 
But I, will, but I also gave you cleanness of teeth in all your cities and lack of bread in all your places. Yet you have not returned to me, declares the Lord. Furthermore, I withheld the rain from you while there were still three months until harvest. Then I would send rain on one city and on another city I would not send rain. One part would be rained on while the part not rained on would dry up. So two or three cities would stagger to another city to drink water, but would not be satisfied. Yet you have not returned to me, declares the Lord. I smote you with a scorching wind and mildew, and the caterpillar was devouring your many gardens and vineyards, fig trees and olive trees. Yet you have not returned to me, declared the Lord. I sent a plague among you after the manner of Egypt. I slew your young men by the sword along with your captured horses. And I made the stench of your camp rise up in your nostrils. Yet you have not returned to me, declares the Lord. I overthrew you as God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah. And you were like a firebrand snatched from a blaze. Yet you have not returned to me, declares the Lord. Therefore... Thus I will do to you, O Israel, because I will do this to you, prepare to meet your God, O Israel. For behold, he who forms mountains and creates the wind and declares to man what are his thoughts, he who makes dawn into darkness and treads on the high places of the earth, the Lord God of hosts is his name. Amen. Let us bow our heads and meditate upon God's word. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning, uh, redeemed sinners. We are redeemed by the blood of your Lamb, but we are sinners. Um, we are individuals and, and a, a people who, uh, like our first father Adam, um, seek of our own strength to run away from you. We pray, Lord, that uh, these words spoken by your Holy Spirit through your prophet Amos would remind us that we are not clever when we seek to run from you, but we follow in a long line of um, folks who are disobedient. Lord, we recognize that um, all of us will be judged we know that we'll either be judged according to the glorious and perfect work of Christ or by our own sin. Lord, we pray that even now your spirit would be directing us to the Lord Jesus, reminding us of our sin and reminding us of the overwhelming grace we receive by faith in Christ. We pray all of this in the name of our Redeemer, the Lord Jesus. Amen. Last week in Amos chapters 1 and 2, Amos kind of op opened with a, with a salvo, a, you know, a shot across the bow. Or perhaps it felt like both barrels to the chest, I don't know. Uh, it's a difficult passage, but, but Amos proclaims the judgment that is upon the nations. And this... You know, in, in Amos 3 and 4, he turns his attention to Israel more directly. And we need to remember that he's, he's functioning as a prosecutor. So as he's bringing these charges against the people, in Amos 3 and 4, it's almost as though he's, he's anticipating questions. 
The first being, what in the world are you doing here? You're the guy that's down from Judah. This is Israel. What business do you have coming here? To which Amos replies in a series of questions to say, The Lord has spoken, and therefore I must speak. I am constrained to speak because the Lord has done so. You see also that the people then ask, Well, surely, you know, okay, the Lord has spoken, and, and, and maybe you're a prophet, but we're not really that bad, right? I mean, we don't warrant destruction the way you're talking about, right? And we see that Amos, again, acting as a prosecutor, answers that question by saying, time and time again, the Lord sent a, a small judgments upon you, and you did not turn back. And so he calls the people of Israel to prepare to meet the Lord, because judgment is coming. We know uh, as we look through the rest of the scriptures that judgment is coming primarily for Israel at the hands of the Assyrians. And as we look at, at Amos 3 and 4, this judgment that is coming, you know, the, the signs of it are everywhere, right? It's been signed. It's, it's sealed, right? Because they have failed to repent and it is just about ready to be delivered, as we look at our day in, in the world around us, uh, we see that in many ways, those same signs and those same seals, if you will, are present in our life. It means that we need to wonder, is judgment coming? What would judgment look like? And how shall we respond? In short, we must remember that all will be judged either on their own merits or on Christ's. And so we as God's people need to cling to Christ, recognizing that in Christ our sins are forgiven, and we need to communicate the love of Christ to, to those around us. Now, what do I say, or what do I mean when I say that, that the signs of judgment were present? Well, we see... Um, in Amos, particularly in chapter 4, that there are a series of actions that the Lord takes. And the people, it says repeatedly that the people did not turn to the Lord. They did not repent. They did not go back. But even before these signs, we see that in chapter 4, the first five verses, Amos presents an indictment, or the Lord presents an indictment through Amos. He says, uh, he calls out the cows of Bashan. Let me just say this is not a particularly polite way to refer to the ladies who are dwelling at the upper echelons of society. Um, they're rich ladies, but they're oppressing the poor, they're crushing the needy, um, they're not living well, and that's in a public sphere. But we also see then that Amos calls out the worship of the people, to say that the worship is not right. Basically, if you think about the Ten Commandments, right, we, we understand the first part of the Ten Commandments is our, our worship toward the Lord, and the second part is our behavior toward our fellow men. We see that Amos is, is calling Israel to task for all of it, that they have not lived the way that the Lord uh, has called them to live. And when he calls into question their worship, what he's doing is he's calling into question um, their offering of sacrifices, the way that they're doing it. And we might sit there and we think, well, wait a second. Aren't the people of God supposed to worship? 
So if, if Amos is saying, listen, your worship stinks, they might say, well, what am I supposed to do? But as we think about that, we need to remember where that worship comes from. The king in, in uh, Amos' time was a guy named Jeroboam, but he's actually Jeroboam II. There's another Jeroboam who was the first king of a divided nation. And basically, what, when he became king, he said, listen, if I let the people go and worship in Jerusalem, they're going to leave me. They're not going to follow me. Remember, Jerusalem is where the temple was. Remember, Jerusalem is where the people were supposed to, to have their, their, their worship centered around. So Jeroboam said, I can fix this. And so, actually, we've got a slide. First uh, Kings 12, 28 shows what he did. It's, so the king, Jeroboam I, consulted and made two golden calves. And he said to them, that is the Israelites, it's too much for you to go to Jerusalem. Behold, pointing to the calves, your gods. He says, behold your gods, O Israel. These metal things, which I've just had made, they brought you out of the land of Egypt. And if you're thinking about this, likely this sounds a little bit familiar because this isn't the first time this happened. We remember that when Moses was up on Mount Sinai and, and he was receiving the law, the people wondered why it was taking so long. And so they went to Aaron and they grumbled and Aaron took matters into his own hands. He took jewelry from the people. Um, and then it says in Exodus 32:4, he, that is Aaron, took... Uh, this from their hand and he fashioned it into a, with a graving tool and brought it into and made it into a molten calf and said this is your God O Israel who brought you up from the land of Egypt same thing right so this is a, a repeated sin of Israel that, that they seem to craft images to try to worship the Lord incidentally images that they ought not craft during Aaron's time, the idol was destroyed and many people died. During the first Jeroboam's time, I mean, he faced judgment for this, but the idol was allowed to continue. And so when Israel is offering sacrifices, when they're worshiping their God, what they're doing is they're worshiping this idol that they have made. They've taken worship of the Lord and they've said, we're going to do it our way. We're not going to do it the way that the Lord wants to. And we might wonder why in the world they would do that. And simply put, what I think they're doing is they think, listen, I know that I have to worship and I know I have to make sacrifices to worship. So I'm going to do that and then the Lord will make, you know, will find me righteous. And so it becomes a, a kind of a, a talisman or, 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 a, or something that they can hold on to as long as I'm worshiping by offering sacrifices to this idol, I'm okay. And I was thinking about the way to understand this, and I, I was thinking about uh, uh, kids and vitamins. And I remember this from when I was a kid, and Naomi did something similar. When, you know, as she started to take vitamins, you know, we understand that there are vitamins and minerals that you need to have for a healthy life, and you, you, it turns out that, you know, candy doesn't 
allow for vitamins and minerals. And so you, you give your child a vitamin and great, it's wonderful. And then, you know, I remember saying to my own parents something like, okay, well now I can have that, uh, that donut over there. And they, my parents looked at me and they said, what do you mean? And I said, well, I had the vitamin, so I'm good, right? Now I can have the donut or the, you know, whatever I want. And what I, what I had in my mind is that I could eat anything and just take the vitamin and be fine. And we see in Amos 3 and 4 that the people of Israel are essentially doing the very same thing. They're living in an inappropriate way. They're not caring for God's people. They're not worshiping the Lord. But as long as they are making sacrifices to an idol, they feel like they're okay. And Amos is saying, no, you're not. Amos is saying, this is not appropriate. Incidentally, we can do the, the exact same thing in our own worship today, right? We can have worship services uh, where the songs are sung, the word of God is proclaimed, uh, you know, prayers are prayed, and they might be good and right prayers. But if our attitude to this is, well, I've checked off church attendance for the week, so I'll be all right until next Saturday night when I need to remember to go to bed early enough so I can wake up on time to go to church. If that's our, our notion that, that church is just our check mark to righteousness, then we've made an idol out of it and it's no longer worship and we're guilty of the same sorts of sin that we see in Israel. This, in part, is what the author of Hebrews had in mind in Hebrews 10. Remember in verse 28 and 29, he says, anyone who sets aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much severer punishment do you think he will deserve who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has regarded as unclean the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has insulted the Spirit of grace? What does this mean? Basically, if you think about it, we understand that the, the penalty for sin is that we'll be you know, an eternity in hell. We understand that. But in Israel, if, if somebody were to say, I don't want the law of God, on the testimony of two or three witnesses, they would be killed. Well, in the context of, of the author of Hebrews' argument, what if I have said I'm a Christian and I claim Christ as my righteousness, but then instead of trusting in Christ, I return to the law and the things I do to make me righteous? Well, the author says, if you're killed for neglecting the law of Moses, how much worse is it going to be for neglecting the blood of the Son? When we worship, we are praising the Lord. We're, we're worshiping the Lord in, in, in thanksgiving of what he's done. We're proclaiming his word, uh, praying that his spirit continues working in our lives. But it is not a check mark or a checkbox whereby I can say... I'm righteous for the week because I went to church. And if we view it as such, we are in danger of trampling underfoot the blood of the Lord Jesus. So whether this is in uh, Israel in Amos' time or indeed in the church today, this is an issue we need to contend with. And we see that because of this faulty worship, the Lord sends a judgment. He says, I'm going to give you cleanness of teeth. With, <laughs> I think that's a really clever way of saying you're not going to eat anything, right? Um, we, it, this was not a, a national dental 
hygiene program. This was, you're not going to eat, and so you're not going to have to worry about getting stains on your teeth. But the people don't repent. We see again that the, the Lord continues to give these small signs of judgment to the people. We look at that and we say, man, that's harsh. But what's his purpose? His purpose is that we would repent and turn to him. That's so much better than him just wiping us off the face of the earth. Right? He's giving his people an opportunity to turn. They don't. They failed to see the signs of judgment. And so judgment is sealed. Because they refuse to repent, Amos says, judgment's coming. In chapter 3, verse 12, this is the way he describes the judgment. He says, as, uh, thus says the Lord, just as a shepherd snatches from the lion's mouth a couple of legs or a piece of an ear, so will the sons of Samaria be snatched away. I confess, uh, when I was younger in my Christian walk, and I was thinking about this, and I was thinking about the idea of, you know, there's always going to be a remnant of God's people. You know, there's always going to be a remnant through history, and indeed there is. And I, I remember coming to this verse and saying, see, there's still a remnant. But then as I thought more about it, which of us is going to hang on to a couple legs and an ear of a sheep and say, wow, look at this awesome sheep that I have, right? I mean, this is barely fit for roadkill. I mean, this is, this is, this is not a sheep. The people are, are destroyed, broken, cut off. This is the judgment that the Lord has placed upon Israel because they are not turning to him. We see not only is, is this judgment enacted in the, the sphere of worship where the Lord says he's going to come and destroy altars, but we see that it also happens in the cities, right? In, in the civil arenas when you see palaces and, and the homes of those noble cows of Bashan are going to be wiped away. The Lord is not going to let them continue. Why? Because they have not heeded either his word or his actions. We see also that, that or I should say we have another evidence of the, the, the fact that Israel is sealed for judgment. Um, and this comes in twofold. One, as I said, it, you know, it's, it's their failure to repent. But the other part is it comes in the form of the word of the Lord. We see um, this in two ways. The first part is at the beginning of chapter 3, where Amos asks the series of rhetorical questions. Now, maybe you didn't know the answer to all of those questions. I certainly didn't, so I'm just going to help the answers know, right? Um, so, you know, take the first one. Do two people meet without having an appointment or a purpose? No. Just to be clear, I don't mean like after you leave here and head to Giant on your way home and you've picked up some sort of lunch, whatever, and you bump into somebody else from church, say at the end cap of aisle eight, that's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about, two people wandering around, you know, in Lancaster County. What are the likelihood that they just meet and, oh, gee, you going my way? Sure. And then they talk. No, if you're going to meet out in the middle of nowhere, you're making an appointment. You're out there for a purpose, right? And, and thus the Lord um, begins a series of questions. 
Even more than that, right, we, we, he talks about lions. I, I confess, I, I don't know whether lions roar when they have prey or not. But he also talks about, you know, birds falling into traps. And he asks, do, does a bird fall into a trap unless there's bait? Um, I remember once uh, before Sarah and I were married, we lived in the same apartment complex, not apartment. Uh, I was in building eight, she was in building one, and it was over on the edge. And because it was on the edge, it, it, it had um, a greater propensity for varmints to come in. And she had a mouse. And her roommate was complaining about the mouse um, and said to the, in effect, I even put out a trap and I still got a mouse. And I went and I looked at the trap and it was supposed to be a humane trap, which maybe they work, maybe they don't. But crucially, she didn't put any bait in it. She thought that the mouse would get bored of hiding and kind of walk over and of its own curiosity or volition say, hey, I want to crawl into that gray box with, where the door's shut on both sides and just hang out for a while. A little bit of peanut butter and a spring trap and in 10 minutes the mouse was gone right? So we see that here again, do, does a bird go into a, a, a trap where there is no bait? No. Does the trap spring up when the, there's nothing in it? No. And these series of questions lead to the Lord saying, or Amos saying, the Lord has spoken. Who will prophesy? Who, who will but prophesy? Meaning the Lord has now pronounced judgment upon Israel I have to say something. And I will also say parenthetically, we see um, in Amos chapter 3 that Amos says, Surely uh, the Lord God does nothing unless he reveals his secret counsel to his servants, the prophets. That's an odd turn of phrase because who among us would feel like we have confidence to say, Well, this is what, you know, the Lord is coming to me to tell me his plans. That's, I don't believe what he has in view here. I think what he's talking about is, is, you know, is God has made a covenant with Israel. And where that covenant is involved, God is going to tell what he's doing to his prophets. He's about to, to enact judgment against Israel. He's in, about to enact the, the curses of that covenant. And he's letting the people know through his prophets. We see also in chapter 4, verse 2, that the Lord has sworn by his holiness that this is going to happen. Just think about this. The Lord has sworn by his holiness. What would that mean? If the Lord swears by his holiness and whatever it is does not happen, then we would conclude that the Lord is not holy. And if the Lord is not holy... If he is not then righteous, then the scriptures are of no value to us. And our time here would be better spent elsewhere. The Lord has sworn in his holiness that judgment is coming. The Israelites have been sealed for judgment. And we might even ask, well, is there any possibility for them to repent? And, you know, my inclination is to say yes. Why? Because, again, the Lord is still warning them. 
to give them time to change. We see that even though this judgment is coming soon, it still is another 40 or 50 years off. Again, to give them time to repent. But to be sure, the window of their opportunity to repent is growing smaller. So it is too for all people who do not know the Lord even today. Now, I've mentioned today, do we see the same sorts of seals of judgment upon us today? Do we see the same sorts of, 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 of difficulties today? Sort of. I mean, we certainly see within our land that there is a rejection of righteousness. There is a rejection of truth. There is a, an acceptance and love for sin. Right? There is a... a, 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 a the culture is seeking to justify sin, right? And to make it good and right, acceptable. So we do see that. We also, I mean, we talk about the, the small judgments that, that happened on the way to the final judgment for Israel. You know, and it included things like the plagues that were of Egypt and the death of, of uh, your young men and all sorts of, of difficulties. Well... I mean, I don't need to tell anyone that our, the last six to eight months of, of life here have certainly been changed because of a virus. Because of, the, you know, we see the whole world, our whole nation turned upside down. Sadly, we're not taking a, a second look at that and saying, perhaps we should seek the Lord. Instead, we are running headlong into rebellion. So I think in many ways, we, we need to recognize that some of the markers of the signs of, of Israel's judgment are upon us. And some of the seals of Israel's judgment are upon us. We also know that judgment was delivered upon Israel. You know, it's, it's roughly 40 or 50 years after the, the book of, of Amos was written. But the Lord used the Assyrians to come in and say, enough. And it was bad. And we also need to remember that there probably were faithful Israelites living in Israel in the time when the Assyrians came in and took over. What does that mean for them? It means they were likely killed or taken into exile. And we might be tempted to say, well, that's not fair. I mean, they were faithful Israelites. They, they believed in the Lord. They, 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 they did not bow the knee to other idols. But we need to remember that um, you know, if we think about Jesus talking to his, his disciples, he, he, he lets them know, I've not lost anyone, right? Whether, and, and that applies not just to New Testament believers, that, that applies to all believers down through the ages. The Lord has not lost a single one of them. And so as difficult as it is, we need to, to recognize that um, those who continued to believe in the Lord, though they were destroyed, perhaps, or sent into exile, an example of this from Jerusalem would be Daniel, faithful man, still taken into exile. The nation falls, but the individual remains faithful. 
We need to, to, to recognize that within um, Israel, that likely was a reality. And that should give us cause to think. And again, before we say that, that this is unfair, we remember that the Lord uh, keeps his own. But we also remember what was said in Deuteronomy 29. This was anticipated that the, the nation of Israel would in fact wander from the Lord and face judgment. And become a byword. So that as other people are looking at Israel... In fact, you even see them in the text. Um, Egypt is called to witness the destruction of Israel. But you have these other nations as they look at Israel and they say, what happened here? The answer is they did not follow the Lord. So what about us? You know, we recognize um, the, the dire situation in which we are uh, living. We, we recognize the chaos and, and the insanity to which our culture seems to be running. And we, we ask ourselves, what are we to do? Well, we are to be faithful, right? We are to remember that our righteousness does not come from um, our, our sense of worship. Our righteousness does not come from our sense of of, of doing the right things. Rather, our righteousness comes by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Our righteousness is only in the gracious working of Christ. And, and the faith that we have in Christ, we need to remember also, as Ephesians says, is a gift to us. So what should we do as individuals? We need to remember the Lord Jesus and we need to be faithful to the Lord. Um, we also need to recognize that, uh, you know, as judgment is coming, and we think about the, the United States, um, we have to ask ourselves what were to happen if the United States were to become, were to come under judgment in the way that Israel did. Probably not from the Assyrians, to be sure. But is it another nation? Is it some other economic collapse? What would we do? How would we respond? I pray like Daniel that we would be faithful. I pray like Daniel that we would continue to, to look to the Lord for our righteousness. Whether you know, it is in abundance or in want, may we, may we cling to Jesus. As we think about the nation... Uh, in shortly, I, we will be praying together corporately, but are we praying individually? Lord, heal this land. As we run toward sin and disobedience as a nation, can we stop, repent? Because you know, I, I fear that if we do not, the judgment of the Lord will grow. Why? Because the Lord is seeking to bring us to repentance. My prayer then is that uh, as a nation, as a culture, as a people, we would not respond as Israel did and run straight long into judgment, but that we might turn to the Lord Jesus. We might confess that he is Lord. We might cast away the sin of our day. And we might be saved. Join with me. Amen.